0: how deep the Father's love. It ties in a little bit this morning with what we're going to be talking about. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I hadn't planned on asking the young people to sing this morning, but as I was in my study earlier and uh, preparing for the message, that song uh, along with the hymns that we sang just kept resonating. And I thought, okay Lord, well I'm I'll ask him to sing it. Amen? And uh, what a great reminder. I I cannot answer. uh, I don't have an answer why I should gain from uh, what he's done for us. I I can't answer that question. Ultimately, I I don't deserve what he's given me. Amen? And uh, neither do you, by the way. None of us deserve what we have been given. And so I, I can't answer that. All I can do is say, thank you, Lord, for giving me what you've given me and thank you for the opportunity to serve. Well, we're in Galatians chapter 3 and we started this past Wednesday with our study on Temperance. If you'll remember in 2 Peter chapter 1, the Bible teaches us, as a part of Christian growth, that there are some things that we are to add to our faith. Not for the purpose of maintaining or keeping salvation, but we're adding to our faith so that we may grow thereby. And the reason it's important to add these things, 2 Peter 1 tells us in verse 9, that those that do not add these things to their faith have forgotten they were perfect to begin with. There are people in this life who got saved, maybe at a young age, who did not grow, they were not discipled, and they did not add to their faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and so on. As you get work your way up to brotherly kindness and charity, there's patience. All of these things the Bible says that we're to add to our faith so that we don't forget that we were purged from our old sins to begin with. And it's a sad thing to know what Christ has done for us and then to come to the place where we have forgotten that we were saved to begin with. Here in Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look at redemption We sang the songs that we sang purposefully this morning. The blood of Christ and there's power in the blood and redeemed how I love to proclaim it. They tie perfectly in with the message this morning. But just by way of review for those that may not have been here Wednesday night or had not had opportunity to go back and to listen to the sermon and take notes, Wednesday we jumped into our month of temperance and we began with a word study on the definition of temperance from Scripture. And so we want to understand if we're to add to our knowledge temperance, what does that mean? And So we asked the question when people think of temperance, what do they often think of? They often think of self-control. And we looked in the Word of God and saw that temperance from a scriptural standpoint is much deeper than a self-control. It's much deeper than just maintaining the right attitude and maintaining the right spirit. And based on our study, we came up with a definition. It's the balanced mixture of life and godliness that can be obtained by all Christians, but exemplified in pastors and mature Christians. And how does that happen? By yielding to the Holy Spirit by yielding to the Holy Spirit. So temperance is a balanced mixture of life and godliness that can be obtained by all Christians, but should be exemplified in pastors. It's a qualification uh, of a pastor that he's to be temperate in all things, uh, and also the Bible teaches that those aged Christians should exhibit temperance, and then we saw that it is a fruit of the Spirit. And So the only way that we can add to our knowledge temperance is if we yield to the Holy Spirit of God. And so with this definition in mind, we're going to look at a few areas in God's Word that will help us to have a balanced Christian life. Our goal in this series this month is to help the growing Christian to properly understand what Christ has done for them and how after a foundational understanding of faith and virtue and knowledge, one can begin to see these characteristics transform them to be what Romans 12 teaches is an acceptable Christ follower. That's what our goal should be, amen? The Bible tells us that we should present our bodies a living sacrifice which is our reasonable service. The very base of what we should do is live for God. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And I want us to start, we're going to jump right in. We're in Galatians chapter, uh, Galatians chapter number 3. We're going to start in verse 11. Let's stand, if you will, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to love and worship you. Lord, we thank You for the songs that have been sung. We thank You for the young people that would use their talents to sing about the love that You have bestowed upon us. We thank You, Lord, that we can know what it is to be redeemed. And we pray that You would help us to have a better scriptural understanding of this redemption that You have offered us this morning. Lord, I pray that You would help us to preach Your Word faithfully. I pray that You would bless the reading of it. Help me not to preach my own opinion. I pray that this morning if there be someone here that doesn't know You as their Savior, today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that as Christians that we would come to a place of service where we serve You out of a right motivation of heart, not one out of guilt or repayment, but one out of love for You because You loved us. Help us now as we preach. Lord, help us now as we teach. Help us as we read and as we learn. I pray that you would open hearts and minds to receive it, remove all distractions. Help us to grow a little closer to you today. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Today we're starting with a balanced view of redemption. Number one, if you're taking notes, jumping right in, I want us to look at redemption defined. Redemption defined. Turn with me to Genesis chapter... Actually, turn to Exodus 6. I'll read you the other verses. Turn to Exodus 6. I want us to be here together as we look at this word redeem and redeeming and redeemed, redemption and so on. And we want to understand, we, we sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lord. But what does that mean? What is Redemption. We need to have a a proper understanding. You're turning to Exodus chapter 6. Genesis 48, 16 is where we find the first reference to this word and its form. And the Bible says, The angel which redeemed me from all evil... Bless the lads and let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. In Genesis chapter 48, you have the death of Jacob. And Jacob lying there on his deathbed and is blessing his sons. And as he gets to the sons of Joseph, he utters these words, The angel which redeemed me from... All of evil. We recognize in the passage that redemption is always from something. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 13 says, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed, thou hast guided them in thy strength. Unto thy holy habitation. Here Moses is speaking and referencing how the Lord has not only redeemed, but guided them. And we see that picture of the guiding hand of the Lord in the process of the redemption of the children of Israel. And from these two verses alone, we see the idea of one that is being rescued or has been rescued. You're in Exodus chapter 6. Look at verse 5. Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 5 and I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage and I have remembered my covenant wherefore say unto the children of Israel I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rid you out of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments and I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God which bringeth you out from under the burden's of the Egyptians. Not only do we see a rescuing tied to redemption, but here in this passage we see Moses is being prepared to go before Pharaoh, or rather he's gone before Pharaoh. He's being prepared to go before him again. But first he's going to let Israel know who sent him. He's going to let Israel know what God has planned for them as a nation. And we see that the Scripture says God will redeem Israel with a stretched out arm. And in verse 6, we see that this redemption has to do with a bringing out from under the burdens and the ridding of the bondage. We see the Lord says that He will take them, He'll rescue them. Redeeming them, taking them, rescuing them from under the bondage of the Egyptians. Turn to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. Just a few books over. Ruth chapter 4 and verse number 7. Ruth chapter 4 and verse number 7. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor and this was a testimony in Israel. Now here we have the story of the kinsman redeemer of Boaz and Ruth as there is a nearer kinsman that is, has the opportunity to take Ruth and Naomi and the land and to care for them. Here in verse number 7 of Ruth chapter 4, we see a testimony that is shown where a man would pluck off his shoe and give it to his neighbor and it would signify that he was keeping his promise. Amen? It would signify that he was going to accomplish this thing. And so here we see in verse number 7 something interesting though in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. Not only do we see rescuing tied to redemption, but we also see a changing. Defined in Webster's 18.28, this word redeem means to purchase back, to ransom, to liberate or rescue from captivity or bondage. Sounds a lot like Exodus chapter 6. Amen? From any obligation or liability to suffer or to be forfeited by paying an equivalent as to redeem prisoners or captured goods to redeem a pledge. And here we have a wonderful view of that in Ruth chapter number 4. To repurchase what has been sold to regain possession of a thing alienated by repaying the value of it to the possessor. Turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Not only do we see redemption tied to a rescuing, not only do we see redemption tied to a change, but Leviticus 25 and verse 25, If thy brother be waxen poor, and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother So here in the Word of God, we see redemption is tied to rescue. Redemption is tied to change. And redemption is tied to a repossession. Friend, back to Galatians chapter 3, the Bible tells us in verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has rescued us, He has changed us, and He has repossessed us from the law. We're no longer under the law. Why? Because of the redemption of Jesus Christ. And so here we have redemption redemption defined. Scripture teaches that when something or someone is redeemed, they change ownership. They're rescued or bought back to the place... That they belong. When Christ redeemed you and I, He redeemed us from the law. He's redeemed us from sin. He has rescued us from the bondage of this world. And He has brought us back into His family. And so we see redemption defined. Next, I want us to look at redemption in action. Let us consider how redemption works in the New Testament turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians chapter number 1 Look at verse 7 Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself." Redemption in action, the first thing I want us to see is that we will find a theme throughout Scripture when it comes to redemption. And we see it here in Ephesians chapter 1, in whom we have redemption through what? His blood. Blood. We have redemption through His blood. And because of the redemption through the blood of Christ, we have been offered the forgiveness of sins. Turn to Colossians chapter 1 now. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 14. We see the passage once again, and it almost mirrors Colossians and Ephesians, our sister books in the Bible. They mirror each other in many places. Repetition in the Scripture is God's volume control. Repetition, as John Wooden said, is the key to learning. And if the Bible says it once, it's important. But if it takes the time to repeat it, we need to take special note. Amen. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption through what? Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into once. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Scripture teaches that we are redeemed to Christ Jesus. We are rescued from sin. We are rescued from the curse of the law. And we are brought back into the abiding fellowship of God because of the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of this blood, we have not only been redeemed, but the Bible teaches in Hebrews chapter 9 that we have been eternally redeemed it's clear in Scripture that one is redeemed by the blood of Christ. Christ literally purchased us with His blood. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Actually, turn to Genesis chapter 4. Let's go there real quick. Genesis chapter 4. In Christianity, we underestimate the power of the blood of Christ. We underestimate the significance of blood in the Word of God. Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice... Of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Spurgeon, while preaching on Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10, said, He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but his own led him out to death. He bleeds, he dies, and then is heard a cry in heaven. The astonished angels again start from their seats and they say, What is this? What is this cry that we hear? And the mighty Maker answers yet again, It is the cry of blood. It is the cry of the blood of my only begotten and well-beloved Son. And God, apprising from His throne, looks down from heaven and listens to the cry. And what is this cry? Friend, it is not revenge, but the voice crieth, Mercy, mercy, mercy. Did you hear it? Did you not hear it? hear it? It said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And herein the blood of Christ speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel crieth out, Revenge! And made the sword of God start from its scabbard. But Christ's blood cried, Mercy! And sent sword back again and bade it sleep forever. Spurgeon wrote, Blood hath a voice to pierce the skies. Revenge the blood of Abel cries, but the rich blood of Jesus slain speaks peace as loud from every vein. How sweet the precious blood of Jesus. How sweet the blood that cleanses and makes whole. How sweet the blood that washed all my sins away. You see, when Christ came and died on that cross, when He came and He allowed sinful man to hang Him on that cursed tree, and as He looked through time and eternity, and He saw you and I in our sin. He saw you and I struggling to make it through life, wandering around in vanity and in our deep despair, destined for an eternity of hell, destined for an eternity of a curse. He looked forward and instead of crying revenge, He cried mercy. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Friend, that is redemption in action. It is the forgiving power of Jesus Christ. Third, and finally, not only have we seen redemption defined, not only do we see redemption in action, now where I want us to be for a few moments this morning, as we come to a close, I want us to receive a redeemed response. Turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, As we turn there this morning and we recognize that if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, if we're trusting in Him for our faith, if our faith is in Him, if we have recognized the gracious gift of God that has been bestowed upon us, how then do we, the redeemed, respond with a balanced view? How then do we have a mixed, blended view of our life before Christ? Do we do things for God out of guilt? No, God doesn't want us to serve Him out of guilt. How then are we to serve God properly? What should this wonderful knowledge of redemption lead us to accomplish? If you're with me, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look at verse 20. The Bible teaches, Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, And in your spirit, which are God's, the first thing, letter A, we glorify God. We glorify God. We praise Him. We lift our voices before Him. Now, notice in verse 20, it says, "Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Here's the question this morning, friend. Here's the question this morning, those that claim to know Christ as Savior, believers, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, family of God, do the things that you do without bring glory to Christ above? Do the places that we go show forth the praise and glory of God? Do the things that we do, the things that we speak, notice, Glorify God in your body. Does what you do bring glory to God? Later on in Corinthians, we learn that whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. My fear as a young pastor... My fear, and it's very interesting to me when I reflect upon my life and when I look back at my teenage years and then I see where I'm at now. It's a wonder, it's a wonder that God would ever see fit to use me. I don't deserve it. You see, none of you here knew me in my younger years, and I thank God for that. Amen. That's why I don't invite my mother down more often because they're things that thou dost not need to know. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. But I find it interesting when people find out when I moved here and people find out you're a preacher, they treat you differently. I was joking with Brother Jerry as he walked in this morning. I said, it's good to see you. He said, it's good to be seen. And I stopped and I said, you know, nobody ever tells me it's good to see me. Amen? I wonder if it's because I'm a preacher. People don't really want to see the preacher coming. Amen? Yeah. Especially if they've not been living right, what happens? Well, I don't, oh, he's gonna ask me how we're doing. He's gonna pray with me. He's gonna, amen, like I'm just some kind of a spiritual. Now, I appreciate that, but that's not who I am. In my eyes, I know me. Just like you know each and every one of you. We all have those things in our lives that we look back and we say, I'd have done that differently. That didn't bring glory to God. But here's the Victory. We do not look at that which is gone. We look at that which we are to obtain. Jesus Christ. And so as day upon day passes, we start our day and end our day praying that God would give us strength that whatsoever we do, we would do so to bring Him honor and glory. Now notice 1 Corinthians 6.20 Therefore glorify you. God in your body and in your spirit. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. You know, there are really two types of Christianity today. There are, there, there are many types of Christianity, but there are two main types of Christians that you see that people would label Hypocrites. The one are the type that believe that everything to do with Christianity is spiritual and I can do what I want and I can live how I want and I can just do whatever because God has made me free and I can't lose my salvation. If I think this is okay, I'll do it without any regard to anybody else around them and their struggles and their being a stumbling block. People look and would say they go to church and they call themselves a Christian and look, they were over there doing whatever. You fill in the blame. But then there's also those Christians that they look the part, they dress the part, they act the part, and we're really good at talking the part, but our spirit brings glory to self. We dress the part, but we look good. Amen? We look like Christians. We don't go to Walmart and end up getting caught on YouTube labeled under the title, People of Walmart. Amen? We don't look like that. We don't act like that. We don't do that. Oh, go there? I'd never go there. But our spirit does not bring glory to God. Our spirit is one of pride. Our spirit is one of arrogance. Our spirit is not one of humbleness and meekness and love, but one of, look at me, I'm a good Christian. Neither one of those Christians are glorifying God on either side. You see, a temperate view of glorying God would be someone who seeks to point people to Christ and to praise Him for everything whether it be without the body or in the Spirit because 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 teaches us glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. You see, you're bought with a price. That redeeming power of the blood of Christ Has purchased you. And so our response should be to glorify God. Number two, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, or letter B if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also, he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. Because of the redeeming power of Christ, our response should not only be one that glorifies God, but it should be one that seeks fellowship with God. Abide that living, living with God, being where God is. Allowing God the free reign within your life. Verse 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 teaches, He that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. You see, better to be the servant of Christ than to be seated with the powerful wickedness of this world. You see, the interesting thing that we don't recognize as Christians is we think servitude of Christ and we think of oppression and dictatorship. But the Bible teaches that the servant of Christ is Christ's free man. We are not under the oppressive reign of some holy dictator that says, if you don't do this, I'll wipe you out. No, 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 friend. We live under the love of a Heavenly Father that loves us better than any person that you know alive could ever love you. We live and we serve Him because we have been made free to do so. And because of the service that He gives us, because of the glory that He deserves, because of the freedom that we can enjoy in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, therein abide with God. Live with him daily. Let her see. And finally, Psalm 107. Psalm 107. How then do we respond properly as the redeemed of God? We respond by glorifying God with our body and with our spirit. We respond by seeking that sweet fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And then we respond by testifying for God. Psalm 107, verse 1, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses, and He led them forth by the way right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. All oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. The psalmist David clearly stating the redemptive power of God in this psalm, that sweet psalmist of heaven that ultimately by human standards was a liar and an adulterer and a murderer. When we think of David, we think of one of two stories typically. David and Goliath, a time of great triumph. Or David and Bathsheba, a time of great sin. Either which way, when you look at David and Goliath, it would be easy to read Psalm 107 and to say, this is the words of the giant slayer. But to look at Psalm 107 in recognition that this comes many years after his forgiving prayer to God in Psalm chapter 50. Now we look at Psalm 107 a little differently. You see, when I read verse 3, in verse 4 and verse 5. I see myself in those verses. Gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Living this life, going from one place to the next, Seeking out that which would bring joy. Seeking out that which would be be peaceful to my life. Wondering why I had to be filled with such bitterness and such regret for the things that I had done. Wondering how God would ever see fit to use an old sinner like me. Wondering. Finding no city to dwell. Verse 5, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them hungering and thirsting for something that would fill the void in my life. Hungering and thirsting for something that would bring peace and that would bring safety and that would bring joy. Something that would bring answers and finding none. And then verse 6, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them out of their distresses. I remember the time. I was very young when I got saved. I was eight years old. And as I grew, and as I answered the call into ministry, and as I started to live for the Lord, and things started to come up and opportunities started to arise, and then all of a sudden, the death of my father as a teenager, I decided that I was going to try my own form of happiness. That I was going to try to find my own path to fill the void bitter and angry at God for the circumstances in my life, not understanding the things that I had gone through. Why me? Why this type of abuse? Why this type of hardship? Why this type of loneliness? God, I don't understand why You would put me through it. And so trying to leave the fold and kicking and fighting against God for many, many years, I wondered, hungry and thirsty for something that would help me. And then the day that sweet and wonderful day and that moment when I could not run anymore. That moment when I could not find the peace that this world kept promising. I could not find the hope that this world said we would give You. I cried unto the Lord, not expecting to be delivered, but just hoping that I could be a servant in the house of God, as the prodigal said when he came home. God, I don't care to be Your son anymore. I just want You to use me. I don't deserve to be Your son. I don't deserve to be in Your family. I just I want to be your servant. And then the Lord in my trouble and in my distress heard my cry and He delivered. And He led me forth by the right way that I may go to a city of habitation. Verse number 8. If I were to die today, if I were to go into eternity at this moment, I would hope my testimony would be one that would lead to verse number 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. At funerals, we often have a tendency to reflect on those that have gone on. And we tell those wonderful stories, those things that bring sweet memories. And that's not wrong but if there's something that could be said at my funeral, I would hope that it would be that he praised the Lord with his life because the Lord, He is good. The Lord, He is wonderful. The Lord, He is merciful. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Every head bowed, every eye closed.